city of Ephesus. And this letter is unique in that the first half of the letter, the first three chapters, is very doctrinal and very theological. And, and it just like paints this beautiful portrait of who we are in relation to God. While, so while, that ha- while that's going on in the first half, in the second half of the letter, chapters 4 through 6, um, it's very practical, right? Showing us what does it look like to walk in the new life that God has given us. See, in the first half of the letter, Paul is, is just lays out for us all these spiritual truths that because of what Jesus did for us, if we place our trust in him, then God has saved us. And we asked the question a few weeks ago, what exactly did he save us from? And Paul tells us in chapter 2, he says, before we place our trust in Christ, we were spiritually dead in our sins. We were spiritually dead. We were lost and without hope in the world. We followed the current of culture. In other words, whatever culture did, we sort of followed along with it. Um, The devil himself had influence in our lives. Um, Our decision-making was centered around what feels good. And as a result of all that, we were under, rightfully so, we were under the wrath and anger and punishment of God. But God, that's the, I mean, that was the epic transition we talked about. Those two words are like the most epic transition in all of Scripture. And, it, and we see it multiple times. There's, if, if you ever want to do a great study of Scripture, look up all the times it says, but God. It's awesome. But God, who is rich in mercy, saved us from our old life when we believed in Jesus. Right? And in this saving process, Paul tells us that he made us a new creation. He tells us that through our faith in Christ, we have been made spiritually alive, right? Where we were once dead inside, we've been made spiritually alive. Instead of being lost and without hope, we've been adopted into God's family. We've been given an inheritance from God. We've been seated with Christ in the the spiritual realms, which means that we have all the power and authority of heaven behind us to stand up against temptation and and, uh, sin. Um, And we have, he also tells us that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Spiritual blessings like what? We've been blessed with things like never-ending, unconditional love from God, right? He's been, and, and he's even given us that unconditional love where we can give that out to each other. That's a huge blessing, right? Um, in our new life, we've been given peace that passes all understanding. We've been given joy like a river. We've been given hope that never fades. And, and we've been given faith that can move mountains. We've been given spiritual gifts and callings that can never be revoked. And we've been given salvation and that can never be taken from us and that gives us assurance of our salvation so we, have, we never have anything to fear. That's the picture of the new you in Christ. So if you have put your trust and faith in Jesus. You are, by definition, a new 
creation. You've been transformed on the inside, and now you have been set free to live like the new you. New priorities, a new way of, of talking, a new way of walking, a new way of relating to people, a new way of stewarding our money. As a new creation, we relate to everything in a new way. Now, as we're going to see in a moment in our text today, uh, just because you revert to the old way of living, or, uh, you, or just because you have relapses into you know, where you use choice words when you get into a conflict with someone, or maybe you wave at someone with your middle finger on the freeway, um, just because you relapse into the old you, doesn't change the fact that you're still a new you. We just have to learn to live from the new us rather than the old us. And that's what this series is all about. So again, Paul is first helping us understand who we are in Christ. And in the second half of this letter, he shows us what it looks like to live like the new you. In other words, the first half of the letter is like, this is what the new you is. And in case you don't know what it looks like to live like that, this is how you live, okay? Now, last week we began looking at the uh, practical side of what it looks like to live like the new you, and Johnny did a great job last week um, taking us through the first half of chapter 4. So today we're going to pick up in the second half of chapter 4, and we're going to go through the the first half of chapter 5. So we have a lot of scripture to cover but um, you'll see as we read it how it all fits together, okay? Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 17, and we'll read through uh, verse 20 of chapter 5. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. That's an interesting statement right there. I just want to comment on that. Because who is Paul writing to? He's writing to Gentiles, right? But he doesn't see them as Gentiles anymore, right? He sees them differently. He sees them as citizens of heaven, new creatures. So he doesn't call, he, he, there's a different classification for them because, they, because they're new in Christ, right? So with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life of God from the life God gives, gives because they have closed their mind and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame for they, they live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, which is basically everything he covered in the first three chapters, throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for hard work 
and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as evil, all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on those who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed When the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that an awesome passage of Scripture? Let's pray for a second. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for such an awesome passage of scripture, God, and I pray that you would just speak to us this morning. I pray that these words would take root in our heart, that we would be the soil that embraces the seed of God's word and allows it to take root and bear fruit in our lives. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so when you were growing up, did your did your dad wear a robe? I mean, my dad wore a robe. Um, I don't know what it is, but my dad's generation they always seemed to wear robes. I don't know if it's because they didn't have many other options for, you know, like I'll wear sweats when I'm not wearing jeans or other clothes, right, uh, around the house. But 
Uh, maybe they didn't have the options, but my dad's generation is kind of all, all wore robes. You know, I don't, I don't do robes, um, but my dad, you know, he would come home from work, and as the night waned on, eventually he'd get, be in his robe. And, and, and you, know, on, he, you know, on weekday mornings, of course, he would get up and get dressed and go to work, but on, on weekend mornings, he'd be in his robe every, every weekend morning at the breakfast table. Um, but uh, one night... I had an encounter with my dad in his robe. I was 18 years old, um, a legal adult. The uh, family curfews had been lifted, and um, I began to get in the habit of staying out late with my friends, doing things I ought not be doing. I wasn't a Christian back then. Um, You know, the only exposure to God I had was a form of religion that our family participated in for a while, but eventually our family sort of abandoned, um, and it didn't produce anything good. Um, but outside of a relationship with God, my parents did the best they could to raise us with good morals and good standards. Um, but it was on one of those nights of coming home late, about 2 a.m., I walked in the door and um, put my keys down and started walking through the dark living room, and I hear... Good morning, or good evening, son. I'm like, oh! You know, just this voice coming out of the darkness, right? And it's my dad looming in the dark in, you guessed it, his robe. And he's like, have a seat. Wasn't a request, so I had a seat on the sofa. And he started asking questions about what I had been doing that night. And I'm pretty sure I told him things that he wanted to hear rather than the things I was actually doing. But parents kind of have a sixth sense, and they sort of know when their kids are lying, right? <laughs> um, um, so he turns to me, and he says, you know, son, you're not the type of man who stays out late doing things you ought not be doing. That's not the way I raised you. Be who you were raised to be. And then he said, good night, and gets up and strolls off into the darkness. But I look back on that moment, and I realize that it was a, a, a defining moment. Right? I had someone in my life who was my dad who had enough authority and concern and love for me to tell me what I needed to hear, to tell me, hey, this is not who you are. This is not the way you were raised. You will never be happy living like this. Be who you really are. And I tell that story because this passage of Scripture is basically God speaking through the Apostle Paul, reminding Jesus' followers everywhere to be who you really are. That the way you might be living is not the way God created you to live. This is not the life he called called you to. Be who you really are. And Paul is again reminding these believers in Ephesus that something has already happened to them. Right? He's saying when you placed your trust in Christ, you became a new creation. What was once dead has been made alive. See, Christianity is not a self-improvement project. 
or a renovation, right? Jesus didn't die to make bad people good or to make good people better, right? It's not a a good to great thing. Paul says here in verse 21, since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. What's he talking about here? He's referring back to the truth that was laid out through the first half of the letter um, that Jesus took us from death to life. Ephesians 4, or, uh, 2, verses 4 through 6. This is that transition I was telling you about. But God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the good news of Jesus, that Jesus stood in our place, taking upon himself all the punishment for our sin, past, present, and future, so that we might become right with God. He took you who were once dead spiritually and made you alive. He took you who were once dead to God and made you alive to God. God did what only God can do. I don't know how he does, you know, makes you alive like that, but that's what he does. That's, he does what only you, he can do when we surrender ourselves to him. And he made you alive to God on the inside. It's just that, it's that transformative process that, that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 3 when he met Nicodemus. He told Nicodemus that in order for you to see the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus didn't understand. He was like, well, how, how do you be born again, right? And this is what Paul's referring to. It's the transformation where we surrender our hearts and he makes us new, alive. What was once dead is now alive. See, Christianity is, is creation. It's, it's being made into a new creature, being born again. It's death to life. He's saying, since you've heard about the good news of Jesus and learned that the truth comes from him, since you've been made alive with Christ, you now have the power to throw off your old nature and put on your new nature. Verse 21 through 24 that we just read. Since you've heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So he tells us, to do something. And if God tells us to do something, we have the ability to do it. And it's only as believers, as being made into these new creatures, that we have this ability. Let me illustrate it for you, okay? Bear with me just a second.
So, this is kind of what we look like as the old us, right? We have lust, drunkenness, oh, greed. We have all these things that sort of typify our old nature. But what does he tell us to do? Because we've been made new on the inside, we have the ability to do what with it? Throw it off. Right? And do what? Put on... I told you I didn't do robes, but this is one exception. (laughs) Put on our new nature. Right? We have that ability. We have the ability to throw off the old, and put on the new. If you've been made new, a new creature, if you're a believer, if you've been made new on the inside, you have that ability. Now, keep in mind the second half of this letter that sort of outlines um, what living like the new you looks like is not about salvation. Religion will say, you got to do this and do this and do this to be saved. Right? You've got to earn your way to God. And, but that's not the way it is with Jesus. If you want to be saved and go to heaven, all you do is trust in Jesus. You don't have to do anything except trust him. You don't have to correct anything. All you, if you want to be saved and go to heaven, you just trust that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to pay for all your sins. All you have to do is believe that Jesus died for your sins and that God raised him from the dead. And it's done. You're saved. You're going to heaven. You're set. But now that you have been saved, this is what your life should look like, the second half of this letter. Okay? Um, you know what I love about Christianity? You don't have to change to become a Christian. You change because... You're a Christian. You change because you've been made new on the inside and you're, you start changing from the inside out. And it, it doesn't happen all at once. It's like a lifetime process, right? And that's why Paul writes what he writes here, to throw it off. And, and how do you change? You do what exactly what he says here in verse 23 to 24. Each and every day, you throw off the old nature, susceptible to lust and deception. Okay? You know what lust and deception is? Lust and deception are tools that the enemy, that your enemy, the devil, uses to tempt you. Notice what James writes in James chapter 1. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. That's the lust he's talking about, right? We have these lustful, sensual desires, just things that we just sort of desire in our flesh, right? And then the devil comes along, and he uses those desires and tricks us or deceives us into thinking we need it, right? Or we're entitled to it, or we have a right to it. Um, If you've ever read how how Satan deceived Eve in, in the book of Genesis... That's exactly what he did with her, right? It's, um, Genesis 3, beginning with verse 1, says, One day he asked the woman, 
did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now notice that immediately right there, that's part of the deception. Because that's not what God said. God said you can eat of all of the trees in the garden except for one. But he twisted it. He said, did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. He didn't say that. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent said to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So he tricked her, he deceived her, and he used her desires for, for, um, to know both good and evil to draw her into breaking God's commandment, right? Lust and deception. So, the next time you are tempted to tell a lie, next time you're tempted to tell a lie, throw it off, right? Say, no, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell the truth, and I'm going to trust God with the consequences of telling the truth, whether they're good or bad, right? The next time you're tempted to let anger control you, throw off that old nature. Say, no, I'm not going to give the devil a foothold in my life. I'm not going to let that happen. The next time you're tempted to gossip or steal or look at things you shouldn't be looking at on the computer, or be greedy, or use foul language, or tell dirty jokes. Say, no, that's not who I am. That's not who I was created to be. So we are to throw off the old nature and put on the new. And this isn't something that we just do once and and we're done. Right? This is a continual process throughout our life until Jesus returns. How many of you are um, dog people? I know there's some that are cat people, and we're praying for you to get saved. But um, yeah, so a lot of you are dog people. Um, in our family, we're dog people. Um, and if you haven't been to our house lately, uh, I want to introduce you to the newest member of our family. You can go ahead and throw up that next picture. Aww. <laughs> um, we kind of got bit by she's so cute bug because I swear we've said she's so cute a million times in the last few weeks just by what she does. But she's a, a baby German shepherd, um, and we're, we love her. Um, so dogs are great, right? But there are some things about dogs that are absolutely disgusting, right? Um, like, have you ever read Proverbs 26:11? As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Now, I don't know why dogs do that. That's disgusting, right? Perhaps God made dogs that way just to illustrate this, right? I don't know. But um, see, in chapter 5 that we read earlier, Paul says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. Live like those who are wise. It's as if Paul is saying, 
why would you, like a dog, go back and lick up what your new system rejected? Right? And we look at that proverb and we think, oh, yeah, that's crazy. Why, you know. But we do it all the time, right? How many times do we go back to what we threw off and pick it up again? Right? I mean, I do. I've been set free. I mean, there, there is a license hanging in my office that says I'm a, a minister of the gospel. Right? I'm licensed to marry you. Not me marry you, but you and someone you love. It's not that kind of church. Um, but I am a licensed minister of the gospel, and I don't know what it is, but some t- sometimes and some days, some moments, I'm looking at what my system has rejected, nothing more than emotional vomit, nothing more than mental vomit or visual vomit, and something inside me goes, uh, looks pretty appetizing, Right? Sometimes we want what's dead. Even though we've been made alive, we get tempted all the time to be who we used to be. So how do we respond to that? We're to throw off the old nature, just violently reject it, right? But after you throw off the old nature, you have to put on the new nature. But how exactly do we do that? It's easy to say, throw off the old, put on the new, have a nice day, go and do it, right? But how exactly do we do that? Well, it, verse 22 tells us to throw off the old. Verse 24 tells us to put on the new. And in between verse 22 and verse 24 is verse 23. Which says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. You have the power to throw off the old and to put on the new. God wouldn't tell us to do it if he didn't give us the power to do so. But, the power to throw off the old... And put on the new only comes when we allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. The battlefield is in our mind. That's where the battle rages. So I want to get, um, I know some of you adults have seen this, but I want to do this again for our uh, teenagers who are with us. I need three teenagers to come help me. Come on, be brave. All right, good, good. All right, so I need you guys to line up here. Let's see how you guys line up. Okay. All right, so what I want you to do is interlock arms. There you go. Now, Scripture tells us um, we're created in the image of God, and God is a three-part being. We're a three-part being. We're body, soul, and spirit, right? So, what's that? Okay, so um, he's going to represent our spirit, okay, that's been made new, okay? When we become a Christian, this is the part of us that gets made new, miraculously, is what gets born again, right? But we still have a body that we live in, 
and we have a soul that's made up of our mind and our will and our emotions, okay? What happens is that the devil comes along and tempts the weakest part of us, right? He has no power to tempt our spirit. It's been made new, right? Regenerated. But the devil comes along and tempts, and and the flesh wants to do what the flesh wants, right? So it's pulling this direction. So you pull this direction, but the spirit is pulling this way towards God, right? And there's this tension right in the middle, Our flesh wants to do what our flesh wants, to sin, to gratify our sinful nature. Our spirit, our new nature, wants to do what pleases God, right? The battle is here in our soul, which is made up of our mind and our will and our emotions. So, if he allows his mind to be renewed by the spirit... Which way is he going to pull? Exactly. And then it's two against one, right? And the body follows along. The, the, the old nature has to die to what the spirit wants, right? But if we're not allowing the spirit to renew our mind, and we tend to want to go back and lick up what our system rejected, then what happens? Yeah. Then we sin. Then we fall susceptible to what the, the the enemy has drawn us to. We go and we go and we sin. And First Corinthians five tells us that when we sin, we bring the Holy Spirit with us. Why? Because He lives inside of us. When we become new on the inside, when we become born again, the Holy Spirit takes up residence. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. And we bring the Holy Spirit in that act. Thanks, guys. Good job. Now, you get to control what you put in your mind, don't you? I mean, just think about all the stuff that our minds are inundated with every single day, right? Just, Just advertisements alone, they're everywhere. Right? Everywhere you look, on your phones, on the, on the computer screen, as you're driving down the street, in magazines, everywhere, on the radio, on TV, we're inundated. Right? Think about TV shows that you watch or the music that you listen to. Think about the, the, the Internet and, and YouTube. Think about all the things, all the, all the things that are, inundate our minds every single day. I mean, there's so much competing for the attention of our mind, right? But here's the question. How much of the attention of your mind do you give to the Holy Spirit? It's kind of a convicting question, isn't it? When we think about all the stuff we let in, how much do you, how much of your mind's attention do you give to the Holy Spirit each day? Not much in comparison, right? But that's why reading your Bibles is so important. And I know there are people who argue, well, they didn't have Bibles in the first century and they did fine, right? But Scripture also says, to whom much is given, much is required, right? We are so blessed to live in the time that we live. 
and have scripture available to us everywhere in, in, in our bound Bibles, in our, on our phones. We have, we have so access to it all the time. We can even listen to it while we're driving. We can just hit, hit the Bible app on our phone and listen to it. And it gets in us, right? We're allowing the Holy Spirit to have access to our mind, right? Um, it's why um, it's so important to be connected to a body of believers um, who are also in the process of having their mind renewed, right? Because when we talk and we share things and, and we talk about struggles, we can encourage each other and spur each other on, as Hebrews says, spur each other on to love and good deeds, Right? All these things are necessary. Listening, I mean, God's word and, and, and being in the body of believers are, are critically necessary for, uh, for our minds to be renewed so that you can have the power to throw off the old and put on the new, right? The more your mind is renewed by the Spirit, the easier it is to win the battle over our old nature. The more you let your mind be renewed, it's much easier to throw off the old and say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. That's not me. I wasn't made new to live like that anymore. Um, In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul talks at length about what it looks like to walk by the Spirit and to uh, follow the leading of the Spirit rather than to follow the leading of our old nature. Notice what he says um, in Romans 8, beginning with verse 1. He says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. It's basically what we just read in Ephesians, right? The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, right? Which is exactly what our illustration was, right? If you don't let your mind renewed, you're going to be thinking about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile towards God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, those that do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong with him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life 
to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, a.k.a. throw it off, throw off the old nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You know, oftentimes, most of the time, actually, uh, I don't talk to Riken about what songs to play during worship. But so often, the Holy Spirit will lead him to play something that relates to what we talked about. And that song we were singing about the Holy Spirit, um, and that line that said, let us become more aware of your presence. It's easy to recognize that in a church service, right? Or in a worship service. But man, that needs to become our way of life every single day. He lives inside of us. If you've given your heart to Jesus, if you've trusted him for your sins, he lives inside you. And we need to be more aware of his presence Constantly, every single day, so that when temptation comes, we can turn to the Holy Spirit. Because His presence is right there. We can turn to the Holy Spirit and know what pleases Him. If there's any question in our mind, right? We can turn to Him. We can rely on His strength. He lives within us. He gives us the power to throw off the old and put on the new. But we've got, to be, we've got to recognize his presence. We've got to allow him to renew our thoughts and attitudes about the way we live our lives. So what does it look like to live like the new you? The new you is led by the Spirit of God living inside you. And I pray that all of us We'll do that more and more. That we won't let our old nature, susceptible to lust and deception, lead us down the wrong path. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your great mercy towards us. That mercy that was motivated by your overwhelming love for us, God. I thank you for your mercy and your grace that made a way for us to be set free from the bondage of sin. I thank you, God, that when we put our trust in Jesus because of all that he did for us, you make us new creatures. You make us new. We're, we're citizens of heaven. Eternity has already begun for us. 
You've given us your Holy Spirit as like the down payment of our salvation. Even though we haven't experienced the fullness of it yet, which we won't until we pass from this world, you've given us the down payment in your Holy Spirit. He's our guarantee that we're saved. He's our assurance that we know we have eternal life and nothing can take it from us. And God, I thank you so much for this passage of scripture that shows us how we have the power as these new creatures to throw off our old nature. Those things that so easily beset us and control us and lead us down the wrong path. We have the power to throw it off if we just tap into the power which is available to all of us who've been made new. Who have the Spirit of God living inside us. So God, I pray that you would help all of us who have been deceived by the enemy into thinking we're, we're always going to be this way or we just can't overcome this or No, that's a lie. Help us, God, to realize who we are in you. That we've been made new. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us to live like new creatures. Let this sink in deep, God. Let this sink in deep our hearts. Let it take root in our hearts, God, so it becomes a way of life. Help us, God, to be aware of the Spirit's presence every moment of our lives, not just here in a service, but when we're at work and -and so-and-so is pushing our buttons and we want to lash out. When we're in a conflict with someone, help us to see them as you see them. When we're tempted to do things we shouldn't do, help us to realize we're new. We don't have to live that way. We're free to live by the Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing in all of our hearts, God. I thank you for the transformations that are taking place. I thank you, Father, for the fact that we're taking another step towards living like the new us.